Welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum. Hope you're doing well. This is a podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better day in and day out while they try to balance their running with the rest of their lives. So um, before we get into it, uh, this episode should be a good one. Uh, but I want to talk really quick about our Facebook fan page. Uh, a lot of stuff going on on the fan page, the Rambling Runner podcast. Uh, not only will I put out all of the podcasts through that through that medium, but I also want to you know provide different articles through there and you know, potentially try to get a little community going. So if you are interested in the podcast, you like what you hear, come subscribe or uh, like the fan page. In addition to that, Hey, fall is here, and the days are getting shorter. Uh, darkness is creeping in the morning and at night. And if you're like me, you're probably running in the dark. So uh, with that in mind, I've been wearing Knox gear, the Tracer 360. Uh, a couple of my friends are using it as well. It's a you know a really wonderful product, and if you're interested, I would check it out on knoxgear.com. It uh, basically is like a glow-in-the-dark vest that's a lot lighter and more comfortable than any other vest I've been using. So I really like it, and if you like it, you can purchase it on knoxgear.com. Use the code RAMBLERUN, that's R-A-M-B-L-E-R-U-N, and you can get 35% off. So hope you're doing well, and enjoy this episode with Brian Locke. Welcome back to the Rambling Runner podcast, and today I am joined by Brian Locke. Brian, thanks for taking the time and uh, and doing the podcast. Hey, Matt. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So, uh, quick quick uh, intro. Brian is attempting the world record for the fastest marathon for dribbling a soccer ball. This is going to happen in two weeks. Roughly two weeks, right? It's the Chicago Marathon, um, and all proceeds for this endeavor are going to go to Imprint Hope Charity. And uh, Brian's a uh, experienced marathoner who I'll tell you what, Brian, your PRs are pretty impressive. I got to be honest; <laughs> they're making me jealous just looking at them. Thank you, um, thank you. Half marathon, half marathon in one twenty-three, marathon in three oh nine. So those are great. And uh, I kind of before we get into the world record attempt and all the logistics surrounding that which are kind of mind-boggling the more i thought about it the more questions i had um sure what's your what's your background as a runner how did you get into it yeah that's going to be a, a quick rundown because there's not much of a background in my running career growing up i played all sports i played i did one season of cross country in middle school but after that it was all soccer uh, so in high school, I was uh, soccer full-time year-round, and I played for four years at Bradley University, uh, which is a Division One university in Peoria, Illinois, and I enjoyed a great career there. And after that, since I was in uh, my kind of my peak fitness when I finished my college career, I decided, for whatever reason, I'd like to run a marathon. And so I, I took on some training. I, I used the word training loosely because uh, looking back, I probably, uh, I imagine I, I knew nothing about running. So I probably ran every training run at the exact same pace, which they, they tell you never to do. Um, but a few months later, I, I ran a, my personal best, my, my 309 there. And at that time, it was actually a Boston qualifier. But I was too too young to know. I didn't really know if that was a big deal. I didn't even want to run Boston. I was ready to move on with my life. And so I kind of put running aside for the next 
eight years or so and, and picked it up again just last fall in 2016. And I thought maybe I should uh, give this thing another shot. And I've been hooked ever since. Well, that 309 time coming off your four years at Bradley certainly is impressive. But um, I think anyone who, who knows soccer uh, has you know, played it uh, at a high level or even at a reasonably high level knows the amount of running that's involved, not just in a game, but just in preparation, sure. right? I mean, did you have certain, you know, goal times that you had to meet kind of prior to, you know, your preseason training at Bradley? Like, what was your running program like in college? Absolutely. We would always, we were, we always had certain fitness tests uh, and protocols that we had to meet when we would come, when we would report for preseason at the beginning of each year. And so over the summer, I was, I was focused on that. It wasn't my main focus, um, but it was always part of my training. And uh, as you know, soccer is a very aerobic sport. I always excelled in the, the fitness test. That was always kind of one of my strengths. Um, I'm, I wasn't the fastest player or the quickest player, but I excelled because I never stopped moving. And I, I could always, I could, I could track somebody for the entire game. I could, I could defend them, and I could um, usually outwork somebody over the course of an entire game. Um, so that was always one of my strengths as a, as a soccer player. So what did the fitness test consist of? Sure. One of the famous ones we did at Bradley was we call it a, a 2 one So you had to do two miles under six minutes or under six-minute pace, so two miles under 12 minutes. You would rest for six minutes, do another mile under six minutes, rest for six minutes, and do it one last mile under six minutes. Oh, so, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and I, that was just, I, I just came into, into, into school thinking that was normal and everybody pretty much had to do that. And if you couldn't do that day one of, of preseason, you, you had to keep trying that. Otherwise you weren't allowed, you couldn't play in the games. So it was a, obviously a big deal and everybody took it very seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. I, we had a similar test. I played college basketball for a Division three school, and the test kind of varied from year to year. It was kind of a moving target because we also had, like, strength tests as well. But it was basically okay. the same idea of that, like, guards should be under six-minute mile pace. So whether it was a oh, mile okay. test or a, or a half mile or a mile and a half test, that was always kind of like the gold standard of, like, all right, you should be under six-minute mile pace if you're, like, a college athlete who isn't seven feet tall. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> So did you when you did that Boston Marathon? Not Boston Marathon. I'm sorry. When you did that Boston qualifying um, uh, level marathon, when you were in the 309, did you have a goal going into that, or was it? Or how did that work for you in terms of trying to set up exactly what your expectations were going into that race? Obviously, as an athlete, as a competitor, you obviously wanted to. I'm assuming achieve a high level, but were you able to break down exactly what that meant for you? Sure. I had actually I'd run a half marathon in my my lead up to that, and that was about 126. And so I knew I might be close to the qualifying time, which was at that time was 3:10. And I just thought I'd just kind of see how it goes, which was kind of my half marathon strategy to see how it goes. And then of course with a marathon, it's a little bit of a different beast uh, with the, the the length of it. And so it was a major positive split for me. So my my first half was probably uh, closer to a seven-minute pace. 
And my my second half was uh, somewhere closer to 7:30 pace or 7:40 pace. I fell off wildly, um, and and so I kind of uh, paid the price for that in the second half. But still, with 20 seconds to spare, I I, I got under that. But no, I, I had little. You know, I kind of knew the Boston time going into it, but it it wasn't a big deal. And, and like I said, I hadn't really planned on on running that. Um, and so I had no no real pace goals and just sort of ran by feel. And in the beginning, of course, oh, this feels good. This feels great. Right, and in the right. end, uh, you know, the last six miles, I I was starting to starting to feel it, to say the least. Right. That's, that's, I feel like that's like the, the biography of every marathoner, right? It's like that's you right. hit mile 20 or mile 18, and all of a sudden it's a whole new world. And um, I know that's that that was my first marathon experience. Shoot, that was probably my second marathon experience as well. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, you that's certainly an understandable thing. So you have an aspect of that race that you know where you were suffering at a certain level that made you kind of not want to continue with can continue with long distance running, or what? What what happened during that race that kind of allowed you to take eight years off? from running, which is obviously whether it was soccer or road racing, which was, you know, a big part of your life up to that point. Right. That's a good question. You know, I nothing about the race really turned me off from running. It was more so just the, the state in life that I had. Um, I was um, soon going to get engaged to my fiancé and, and soon starting, you know, starting a career and, and starting a life post-college and it was one of those things where I just didn't feel like I could give the time commitment to the training like I had before. And I had already spent the previous four years with a Division One program where, you know, it's it's practicing 30 hours a week on top of your studies. On top of that, I, I was at a point where I was ready to let the athletic side of my life kind of fall, fall by the wayside um, or at least uh, taper down for a little bit. So. Right. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't one of those. Oh, I'll never again. This is this is awful. It was more so of, okay, I did that. I'm ready for something different. You know. Got like it. More like a bucket list, a bucket list type thing. Just check that off. Yeah. Move on to the next thing. Yeah. All right. So then, so then you are eight years later. All right. So <laughs> just trying to lay the foundation for this attempt. So you have so eight years later, right? Fall 2016. You said, all right, I'm going to get back into it. All right. So at that point. What did your fitness look like? You know, how was your how did your body feel? You know, were you pretty close to like the the racing weight that you you know in retrospect wish you wish you would be near? You know, what 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 did you look like before you got started with your next yeah. serious attempt? Sure, it wasn't terrible uh, to be honest. I had still I played in a, a competitive soccer league every summer still, so I had to stay a little bit fit for that, but. More so, that was just I'd run about five miles a week in the couple months leading up to it each summer. <laughs> but my, you know, I've always actually I've struggled to uh, to keep weight, um, so the weight really wasn't an issue, and that probably more so than anything helped me to get back into it quickly. And um, so, yeah, once I I just started consistent training, it really all came back rather quickly, to be honest. Nice. So did you, all right, so when did setting this world record attempt of dribbling a soccer ball 
for a marathon, which we should say is the, the current world record is 329 and change. So when, when did that goal kind of, uh, kind of percolate to the top for you? Sure. That, that started in the, in the beginning, not too long after that. It really started in about December of last year when I was starting to plan out how 2017 would go and some of the goals that I could set for myself. And, and thinking about where where my limits were and, and what what could I break through? What's something big I could do? And I had a buddy who uh, who uh, he set the world record last fall for the fastest half marathon dressed as a, a television character. And so uh, <laughs> world records at, at that time were on my mind, and I was thinking, what what is my unique skill set? You know, what what is something that could be unique to me that could test my limits? And and be something that I could that could motivate me and could I could chase after. So uh, yeah, that's where that's where it all started. All right. So why the marathon then? Like your buddy did the half. Why do you go outside and do the full? That's a good point. I think it's probably because right before that is when Boston started to creep back into the picture as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought, uh, you know, I had that chance before. I never took it. Uh, that that really is something that might be appealing to me again. So, yeah. Okay, so what races have you done in the past calendar year to get ready for it? And what's, you know, guess what was your first kind of six months of training once you were, you know, kind of a full-time dedicated runner again? What did that look like? Yeah. Um, I jumped into uh, something quick to just kind of assess my fitness. I jumped into a quick 10K and that gave me a good baseline as to far, okay, am I progressing in training? So I jumped into that last fall. And then after that, I really progressed just with a lot of aerobic-based training, a lot of easy paces, um, slow miles, really just building up the mileage. I knew that if I wanted to run, at, at that time, at that time the goal was still Boston, so I'm thinking a three-hour three hour marathon roughly. And so I knew kind of about where I needed my mileage to be and I knew I needed to be consistent. So I, I started building that up very slowly, very easily. And to be honest, that's probably been the biggest, that's probably had the biggest impact on my fitness uh, rather than any other part of my training. But so for the f- first six months, it was that. And then I jumped into uh, another 10 K to start the spring. Uh, and, and to give you some frame of reference there, my first one in the fall was, Thirty-nine, thirty-six, and then after just wow, nice work. Four, four uh, three or four months of, of base training, I jumped into another one in April, and it was my time came down to thirty-seven fifty-nine. So, just wow. a testament to what just easy slow miles can really do, and just being able to consistently train. Um, from there, I, I got into a half, another half, and I set my half marathon PR there about 123, like you said, and then um, kind of just focused on the, the fall marathon after that. And so I had I had a, a build-up to a fall marathon. It was a few weeks ago, which was the goal, but things didn't really come together for that one. I, I'm thinking I had a, a small bout of, uh, of overtraining. I may have gotten a little bit overambitious with that one. So that one did not go well. I ended up with a three 323 and change there. So I'm still recovering a little bit from that one, but I'm optimistic that I can still meet my my goal here in a a couple of weeks. So that's in my calendar year. Wow. 
Wow, that's crazy. So what made you want to do the marathon so quickly? I guess two marathons, two so closely back-to-back. Yeah, that, that was something I I, I, uh, I thought a lot about. And uh, I thought, given the, the five weeks in between, and that for to break the record, I would only need to run just a little bit quicker than an eight-minute pace, I thought uh, maybe I can be recovered for that. Maybe I don't need to be in my absolute peak fitness for that um, because this is really the best opportunity for it. Uh, I'm doing – it's actually a local marathon that I'm doing. It's my hometown marathon. So that's okay. why I, I want to focus on this one because it is a smaller marathon, which provides certain logistical benefits. And um, because it's my home marathon, it, it provides certain uh, sentimental benefits as well. Got it. See, I had, so I misstated it before. I said the Chicago Marathon because I sure. saw the state where you were doing it in, and I just assumed. I know yep, that's coming up as well. Day. Got it. Yep, so, all right, so going day. back to going back to the training that you talked about. So you brought up something interesting about how you were just doing base level training. So for you, how do you measure that? Are you a heart rate person, or are you just run by feel at an easy pace? How does that something that you that kind of comes together for you? I am a heart rate person. Yeah, I purchased their uh, uh, heart rate monitor last fall, and I've, I've started using that ever since to keep my easy days easy um, and make sure I'm not going over the red line. I I did a quick test to kind of get where, uh, find out where my lactate threshold might be, you know, kind of find out where my max max heart rate might be, and I, I adjusted down from that. So it so on my what, easy uh, days. So what test did you use? What test did you use, if you don't mind me asking? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, sure. To get my lactate threshold level, I did a 30-minute a uh, time trial. It's basically um, 30 minutes as fast as you can go at the, 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 uh, the speed at which you can you can hold for 30 minutes. And uh, what was it? I think for after 10 minutes, 10 minutes into it, you you hit the whatever, the lap button, and then your average heart rate for those remaining 20 minutes is your lactate threshold. Oh, okay. So so that's what, and that helps determine the zones at which your training zones um, that you can train in. So I, I forget after that what it is, whether it's like 86% of that is, you know, from, you know, 80 to 86% of that is your easy pace don't quote me on that, but something like that. Right. Um, but for for some frame of reference, usually for easy days, my heart rate is about 74% of my max heart rate. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I you try not to let it get above that. And that's been a pretty good – I've been able to recover pretty well using that. And you were actually able to get faster from, like, from the first 10K to the second 10K. Yeah. You dropped about – you know, basically, was it two minutes? So one minute per five k, yeah, in there, and it was just like, wow, I mean, that's 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 a big improvement from just base training. Was that something you expected? Is that why you were doing it, or was it kind of a I did not know come to that? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Even that second ten k, I was expecting to come in in like thirty nine minutes, maybe, and I was I was thrilled at how how good I felt. Um, and and it just felt really fresh and it was thrilled when I was looking at my times um, uh, for the splits for there. So, yeah. So when I do a lot of like, you know, zone two, I guess another way of saying it like that, that yeah. level of training, I feel like my zone two 
runs don't really I guess they, they're always fairly consistent, even over a long period of time. Like I don't really get faster in my zone two, and even if I'm okay. running with the heart rate monitor on. But at the same time, if I'll do a track workout, you know, after a sustained base period, I will see improvement. How about you? Do you, do you, do you okay. experience the same thing, or do you go down in your? I mean, does your speed increase sure. at the same heart rate over time? My my paces on my easy days definitely did increase over time. Uh, but they they did start to see a plateau this spring, and that's when uh, that's when I kind of knew it was time to incorporate some other training. Um, and it, still after that, it, even though my kind of my paces weren't increasing, I was able to uh, my heart rate would stay more consistent over a long period of time. So in the beginning, I'd, I'd start out running at a certain heart rate, and if I kept up that pace, my heart rate would would, would climb. Uh, tremendously but now over mm-hmm. time it stays a little bit more consistent it'll still climb of course it will but not as rapidly as it as it once did all right so when did you start incorporating the soccer ball in your training and how does it work now with with your overall running plan? sure 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 i first did it last last fall when i was thinking about the record and i i was thinking can I dribble a soccer ball that fast? Is this something I can continue to think about, or should I just stop this altogether and call it a day? Um, but it felt good, and it felt something I could reasonably do. I put it away after that for a long period until after my most recent marathon, and then I started getting getting it back. And now it's something that I do pretty much every other day. Every other day is, is with a ball, and I, I obviously can't do um, – I can't do hard workouts with that. I can't, you know, I can't bust out six-minute miles with a soccer ball. Um, but the reason <laughs> I can't do it every, reason I I don't train with it every day is simply because my, my running economy, um, it, it kind of suffers a little bit when I'm dribbling. Uh, you you can't run the same way. You gotta reach a little bit. It's a little bit harder on the hips and different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in order to stave off any injury concerns, I've kind of just done it every other day. Make sure I keep it, you know, under control and nothing, uh, not a pace that I can't uh, can't be in control of. So, do you are you able to look up while you're dribbling? I know you given your soccer background, obviously you have to look up when you're you know in a soccer game. But what's the ratio between looking up and like looking down at the ball when you're running? It's <laughs> a good question. It is, it's maybe something that I don't I don't think about. Um, yeah, it just really comes naturally. I I, I feel like. Uh, yeah, in a game, you you really have to be looking up a lot in order to notice what's around you. So I, that's mm-hmm. carried over to marathon running as well. It's it's something that I'm able to uh, I'm able to look up quite a bit. I guess uh, it's not, not something where I'm always looking down at the ground, and I don't I don't think it's really much different than when I'm running normally, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Now, are you going to be wearing running shoes, or do you wear like Adidas Sambas, which are like almost like the first minimalist running shoe in retrospect? <laughs> maybe, maybe not as breathable, that but uh, yeah, how, how does that change? <laughs> I will be wearing running shoes. Yes, the support definitely outweighs the uh, the functionality when it comes to marathon running. I want to make sure I have something, so I'll be wearing some uh, some New Balance, uh, the New Balance Vazi Pace shoe, which is actually my normal running shoe, so it works out fine. Yeah, I actually, it's funny. I had those. Those are my last running shoe. I know exactly which ones you're talking about. Oh, yeah. About. Um, yeah, they're really good. And 
Well, so what are there like contingency plans? Pardon my ignorance on this, but what if like the ball pops or if there's something that goes on with the ball? Is that like is that is there any potential for that or is that like a non-issue? Um, I th- I would think the potential of that is pretty low. Okay. But I I will have a plan for that. I will probably have uh, the the bicyclist that'll be uh, with me the whole time. I'll probably have him uh, carrying some of that extra stuff, um, you know, just an extra ball or, or whatever else I might need. Uh, he might even have some of my um, my water or Gatorade or something with him as well. So I, I'll plan for that as best I can. And you know, he even mentioned to me like, what if my what if my tire goes flat or something like that and I'm not able to you know. <laughs> yes right but can't can't plan for everything but it's just like a normal marathon right you can't plan for everything and sometimes uh you got to get a little bit a little bit lucky to have everything go your way that's for sure so you've been documenting the training via Instagram and your handle is roadrunner309 that's that's the numbers 309 um yep. and it's fun it's fun following that are you going to be documenting the race at all yeah uh well, I'm documenting the race for the purposes of the record itself. Uh, so Guinness World Records has given me all the requirements that I need. And uh, so I'm, the entire race is going to be on video. Um, it's going to be recorded uh, from a bicycle on video. Um, it, it's going to be – I'm going to have some photographers there to take pictures before, after, and during uh, – but yeah, those will definitely be on my Instagram page, and, and you can follow it there. So, do you get to keep the video after the fact, or does that just get sent to the Guinness people? I will definitely do my best to keep that. Yes, I, <laughs> they they will need it. But if I can if I can make a copy beforehand, I will definitely do that because that will be something that I can. Uh, something that I can hopefully look back on and show my kids and, and, and uh, look back on with good memories. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, when I'm when I'm tired and I'm running, the my ability to go through a water station is like is just is comedy at its at its best. <laughs> like I got water sloshing all over my face. If any of it goes into my mouth, it's like a moral victory. Um do you when you're doing this with dribbling the soccer ball how do you approach yeah. stations and nutrition? Do you have to stop, or how does that work? Absolutely. That's something I've been thinking about actually the last few days, and it's something that I think it'll help being a hometown marathon because maybe I can get you know my wife or a couple friends to help me out and to uh, get, me a, get me a bottle as opposed to a cup and do that. I think that's what it'll have to be because you're right. Uh, th- those those water cups and having to zigzag around runners that that's not going to cut it. It'll be very difficult. So I think I'm going right. to definitely have some contingency contingency plans set up for that. And how about the start of the race? This is the other thing that like got me anxious thinking about this. Like I'm I'm rooting for you. I want this to happen. So I'm like, all right, how's yeah. it going to work with the weight with the aid stations and the, the start of the race? Anyone who's been yeah. at any race, but marathon to 5K, knows that you're, you're in a tight a tight area, and then it thins out over some period of time, depending on how many people are running. But obviously, that could get a little tricky. Definitely, this was something I had to work with, and uh, make sure I had approval from the race directors uh, with ahead of time. They're going to have me start with the uh, with the wheelchair racers, which starts about five oh. minutes before everybody else. 
So and this, like I said, this marathon is a small marathon as well. So there'll just be a few wheelchairs going off with me. So there'll be plenty of road there. And then um, if I'm able to meet my goal time, which is, you know, just under 3.30, historically this, this marathon has only had about 20 finishers that beat that time. So as long as I can get a good start, I should be okay. <laughs> right, right. And you're and just to we touched I touched on it briefly in the introduction. Um, you're also you know selling merchandise uh, with the idea of um, helping the uh, the Imprint Hope charity. What's what's that all about? What does the charity do, and how did you get aligned with it? Yeah, definitely. This charity is uh, I have a personal connection to this charity. First of all, they're uh, it's a, a sister of a, a friend that I know, and um, this this person uh, she a certified physical physical therapist, and she left her left her job here in the states and, and went to Uganda, and decided to start up a practice there. And what what she does is, or what their practice does now is, they take in um, children with with disabilities, uh, and they and they give them physical therapy. They teach their their parents how to um, how to help their kids out and do that. And in in countries like this in Uganda, and what I'm learning while I'm following them, and because I've been following them for about a year or so, is that uh, children with disabilities have such a stigma in society uh, that, that they're just tossed aside. They're not even really considered. Um, uh, blessings at all. They're considered just burdens. They're considered outcasts. And so really what this organization is trying to do is is reverse that and, and give it a new, um, give these children purpose, give them meaning and, and restore them, um, restore their families ultimately. So it's been inspiring for me to see what um, what she has done with her practice and to see the kids coming out of that. And if I can um, play a small part of that, then I'm happy to do it. Yeah, before the podcast, I, I took a look at it uh, on my own time. It really is inspiring, and you can tell um, that's definitely one of those, you know, grassroots kind of organic charities that pop up that you know is, you know, kind of a hand-to-mouth organization. You know, I'm a major gift fundraiser in my, my full-time job, um, but it's definitely an organization that you know, like, basically, whatever you donate is going to go right to the people that's supposed to be uh you know, you're supposed to be helping and supporting, which is Absolutely. always uh, an important thing for anyone who's going to be supporting any initiative. Um, the, you know, you know where it goes, and you want to have the kind of impact that you had in mind when you made the donation. So uh, definitely, uh, I would definitely uh, tell people to check that out, um, Imprint Hope. And I know you have a link on your Instagram page, which is, again, the handle is Roadrunner309, to your Etsy page, which has various merchandise and, and things like that. Yeah, that's right. Check it out. My my wife uh, my wife runs that Etsy page, and she, she helps me design a, a shirt that basically supports supports the race and supports uh, like you said. Ultimately, all the proceeds go back to uh, that charity. This is great, Brian. Thank you so much for everything. I'm excited to see you do it. What's the date of the race again? October eighth, Sunday. Yep. October eighth. All right, it's coming up fast. Good luck and uh, happy right. running. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure.